This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours of fun, great music and Christmas cheer on The Breakfast Buffet. This morning on The Bottom Line, bringing a winning mentality from sports to business. We talk to Owen Murphy, Business Development Manager with Carlow Company Strive, who is, of course, Kilkenny's multi-All-Ireland winning goalkeeper, two-time All-Star, and currently centre-back for Kilkenny County Intermediate Champions, Glenmore. Understanding the supply chain crisis, we speak to Peter Hennebury of Maxim Engineering about the global pandemic, climate change, our seemingly insatiable demand for microprocessors and what it all means for business. And Kilkenny City Centre's one-way system. We'll hear the latest about what Kilkenny City Centre retailers have said in a survey on the new traffic arrangements. All that between now and 10 o'clock. But first, joining me on the line is regular contributor to the bottom line, Laura Slattery from the Irish Times. Good morning, Laura. Morning, John. How are you this morning? I'm fine. It's uh, lovely weather where I am so far. I don't want to curse it. But <laughs> it looks like a pretty nice morning out there. Absolutely. Now, when you and I spoke yesterday in advance, we said we'd try and uh, keep it light and steer clear of COVID and all that. Yeah. But being a business programme and in the context of the government's announcements yesterday, that's not really possible. We have to have it on the agenda. Disappointing for many businesses. Yes. I mean, I, I was watching uh, Michal Martin uh, give his, his latest address from behind the lectern there at, at, at 6 p.m. yesterday, and it, it was hard not to feel a complete sense of deflation. And, and if, as you say, it, it's, it, it's so much worse for the businesses that are affected in the hospitality and live entertainment uh, sectors in particular. I mean, we, you, you know, you could say each of, of the individual restrictions, maybe, you know, they don't sound like loads in themselves, but they all add up. Um, yeah, you know, we have to, you, know, you need to have a COVID vaccine pass now for gyms and hotel bars, maximum of six people per table, no bar service. You know, restaurants were already seeing a wave of cancellations anyway over the last few weeks. So, you know, that's not going to help them. And I think then one that is really difficult is the 50% capacity rule for indoor entertainment and sport. That's already creating kind of a wave of ticketing issues because, of course, a lot of tickets have already been sold. A lot of um, arts venues and sports venues now have to figure out, you know, how do they sort of unticket those um, events? Do the, you know, how do they do the process of cancellation? Who, who gets to come and who doesn't? Um, so it's very difficult to sort of run a, a 50% music gig, for example, that doesn't really economically work for many venues. And a lot of them are, are just pointing that out and saying, this is like gone beyond, you know, taking one for the team. This is like two years of absolute misery um, on the cusp of year three now. And the government really needs to support them, I think. Yeah, and it's really difficult with the emergence of this Omicron uh, virus or variant, which is only a week old, but it, it just shows you this is the long, a long game. I remember when COVID burst onto the scene in 2020, many people hoped we'd be out of it by September of that year, but we're talking a really long and protracted struggle for business. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember um, buying... Um, 
sort of office workwear in, in a sort of when the shop reopens that uh, May or, or June. I remember thinking I'll be back in the office in, in September. And, yeah. You know, nearly two years in, I haven't I haven't set foot in the place. So the, 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 there was a lot of uh, I guess there was I guess I don't yeah I wouldn't even call it hope but yeah expectations mm. that you know surely this wouldn't go on for years. At the same time, there were people warning I think of. of uh, issues to do with um, variants and repeated waves, and we we you know we we got the vaccine much quicker than expected, but but of course then you know there is a need for continual boosters it seems, and those programs need to be completely up to speed with what's happening with the the epidemiological situation because this this virus is moving very fast, particularly the variant it seems. Yeah, but business has proven itself very adaptable and very flexible and there's been a lot of pivots uh, and I'm sure that will continue but but still you would feel for the businesses who who probably this time 24 hours ago weren't expecting such a such a I suppose draconian bunch of restrictions as far as they're concerned. Yeah, I mean we can just hope now that you know this 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 by moving fast it allows the period of restrictions to be shorter. I mean, that is why this is happening. We know what happened last year. We reopened almost fully in December, not, not live entertainment sector, obviously, but, but hospitality was open and, um, you know, people were visiting each other without restrictions um, in, in households as well. Mm. And it did create, it could create that Delta wave that, that took five months to, to really un- unwind. And yeah, we can just, we just hope that this is, that people are, are, you know, by being cautious and, and having this this uh, this reaction, that allows everybody to bounce back quicker than, than last time. But that's that's really, you know, <laughs> the only comfort I can hope. Absolutely. Well, look, I'm sure people are tired of COVID, and there are other business stories. We're going to discuss a couple of funky ones earlier on. But um, before we get into the frivolity, not a good week for Bank of Ireland. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it comes as no surprise really anymore when uh, a, a financial services company in Ireland is subject to a, a massive fine for something that they've done wrong. But this one was quite interesting because nobody would have known they'd done anything wrong because, you know, nothing bad actually happened. It's just that they had no um, uh, system in place to stop anything bad happening. So this is a real triumph of regulation, in my opinion. They were fined 24 0.5 million uh, for failing to have any continuity of provision in the event that they had a severe IT disruption. So, and they didn't have that anything like that in place from about 2008 to 2019. Now they did start to correct the problem around 2015, but essentially what that meant is if there had been an issue, you know, the whole country would have known about it because people's you know salaries might not have been paid, their debt repayments might not have gone through. It could have had a big impact on, on the financial system. And, you know, they had been warned about it, and that was partly why the, the fine was so big. It's actually the second biggest fine that the central bank has ever levied wow. on a financial institution in Ireland. And as you say, yeah, nothing actually happened, but they just didn't have the systems in place. And, and this was to do with their IT? Yeah, IT. So Did so Ulster Bank get a, get a fine at all? Because their IT was absolutely <laughs> falling apart they at the seams. Yeah, I mean, a few years ago, they actually did have a collapse, and they were they were fined because their customers were, I think, spent uh, in some cases of the best part of a month without being able to use basic banking services. So that's the only other sort of um, precedent in this particular kind of um, category of, of breach of the regulations. But mm. but this, like you know, this this is this was a, a, a serious thing. Bank of Ireland has, has many more customers, uh, yeah. especially on, on current accounts. 
Put it into proportion, uh, Laura. You know, the, the, we've gone from an era of light touch regulation to the central bank flexing its muscles, find a couple of people. There have been a lot of scandals over the years, the tracker scandal. Put the 24.5 million into context. Yes, well, it's interesting because Bank of Ireland hasn't actually been fined, as, as I understand yet, for its role in, in, in the tracker scandal. But when you look at the tracker uh, scandal fines to date, and this is, this is a scandal in which, as a result of, of <laughs> misinformation and, and manipulation, people lost their homes. Um, we saw KBC Bank, which was sort of a very one of the uh, players in this, they were fined about 19 million last year. But then earlier this year, um, Ulster Bank again, they were fined 38 million. And that is, in fact, the biggest fine the mm. central bank has ever levied on a financial institution. So you can see there that, that the Bank of Ireland um, IT fine sort of sits in the middle of those. And I, I, I only see these fines going up, to be honest with you, in the future. The central bank um, is in a lot better, stronger position now than it used to be. And there, there is a sense, I think, uh, a consensus even really that, you know, there's no there's no point having fines if they're not going to be meaningful, you know, if they're not going to actually deter um, banks from mis-selling in some cases and also just, just you know, ignoring sort of basic, um, yeah. basic functions and things that they really should be on top of. Speaking of fines, and just quickly, um, Facebook, I see, provided a billion euros, that's a thousand million, uh, for future fines that they haven't even got yet. Uh, that's something, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, and uh, yes, and this is actually, they set that aside, we saw that in the accounts for Facebook Ireland this week, one billion, and that's in relation to possible fines from the Data Protection Commissioner, which is being criticised by um, others across Europe for not, for not fining um uh, tech companies enough for, for breaches of data protection. So it's interesting that it is a pretty big number, I think, to have to set aside for fines, one, one billion. But of course, in the context of, of Facebook, it's not, uh, not a much. lot. They made 41 um, billion almost in revenue just uh, yeah. in Ireland in 2020. And, you know, the pre tax profit was almost a billion. So, yeah. well, it was, it was almost 900 million. But, you know, uh, the, you know that's just the, the Irish picture. But, um, and they also um, paid a bit more tax than they had the year before. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to see now that uh, if, if Data Protection Commissioner will eventually, um, I suppose, uh, there will be a bit of inflation, shall we say, in the, in the fines that they levy. Mm, finally, uh, Laura, I touched on it briefly last week. Uh, words of the year coming up. Uh, have you a business word of the year, new business word of the year you've spotted? Well, um, this isn't mine now, but Collins uh, Dictionary um, has decided that NFT is their word of the year. And that's, of course, an acronym standing for non-fungible token. And uh, this is a mm. word that uh, has uh, plagued us all this year, but it uh, refers to kind of a sort of a, a digital, you know, certificate of ownership over things like artworks or, you know, merchandise, memes even. These are things that people are buying at auction for a huge amount of money. But interesting because you know I, I remember back in March there was this uh, U.S. artist called Beeple who who sold a, a digital collage as a non-fungible token for seventy million dollars at auction. Um, <laughs> There's one born every minute, Laura. Yeah, I know, but I mean that actually is the peak. So I'm wondering, is this just a craze, and <laughs> whether or not this we won't be talking about NFTs? Yeah. Um, you know, well, I was actually reading, and I, I'd love to talk to you again about it, but unfortunately we've run out of time, about a virtual land boom going on in the metaverse, uh, if you don't yeah. mind, in the New yeah. York Times recently. So uh, it's all ahead of us. Yeah.
I'll stick to shopping in the real world for now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, happy Christmas shopping, uh, Laura, and thanks for joining us this morning at The Bottom Line. Thanks, John. Okay, we'll talk to you again. That's Laura Slattery, media correspondent with the Irish Times. It's just coming up to 19 minutes after nine o'clock. We're going to be talking to a really superstar of the hurling world about his business uh, life after these. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.omf.ie. John Purcell with you on the bottom line and coming up after 10 o'clock Davy Cashin will be with you live from Tin Ryland. He's sitting in for Edward today on the Saturday show so loads of Christmas cheer and he may even bring you an old Christmas tune. Uh, if you're in the Tin Ryland area do drop along and see him. Now he's known to hurling fans throughout the country as one of the game's finest goalkeepers with four All-Ireland medals, six Leinster championships and two All-Stars among the many honours he's won with his county. He's also a key player for Glenmore, where he plays centre-back with the team that this year won the county championship, the intermediate championship, and who are currently progressing through the Leinster Club Championship. Beyond his hurling career, uh, his business career is in sales. I'm talking, of course, of Owen Murphy, and Owen recently joined Carlo-based company Strive, where he's business development manager. I recently caught up with Owen to discuss his career and how his sports and business careers overlap. I started by asking him to tell us a bit about Strive. So Strive, we're a Carlo-based company. Uh, we're experts in cyber security and private cloud solutions, John. Yeah, now I know some of the senior management in Strive are actually Tipperary people. How did someone like you end up joining the company? Uh, by pure accident, I didn't put my address down on the CV, so just in case. But uh, I know, listen, the, the, the guys, um, Andrew and Paul are from Chip and you know, they give a good bit of slagging, but um, yeah, the, the financial controller, Kieran, is a Kenny man, so he helps me out in that regard with the, with the bit of banter that's going around. Yeah, but uh, Kilkenny, Tipperary and Limerick, I suppose, aside, Strive is an international company with big ambitions. How's the business going? Yes, absolutely. Um, we have offices in the UK, um, in, in London, actually. And we also have a Polish office in Warsaw. So, yeah, our, our European footprint has been expanding the last 12 months, usually. And uh, just in the last couple of months, then, and we um, we got uh, awarded a government contract um, in Poland. So, yeah, it's expanding the whole time, John. And yeah, it's really exciting times for Stripe. Yeah, I suppose um, the, your areas of speciality, the cloud and data security, are huge uh, for the business. Um, so the future bright. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and we, we, we can cover we can cover um, I suppose any customer within the EU, and you know I suppose looking outside of that, you know I'm sure there is plans to to expand outside of the EU in, in, in coming years as well. But, you know, so we, we have a data centre here in Ireland, one in the UK and, and one in Poland. So, you know, even for the customers um, that we're dealing with that are affected by Brexit, you know, we, we, we can tick that box as well. But, um, yeah, look, the last couple of years, there's been, 
uh, with, with the GDPR and um, data sovereignty then as well that clients need their data uh, stored within the EU or within Ireland and we can guarantee that so that's a you know it's a massive plus for us when we are chatting to customers and um, you know trying to win contracts yeah now you mentioned uh, data centers a lot of talk talk about um, environmental sustainability we are in a in a cr- climate crisis how does uh, strive deal with those issues yeah so look i suppose it's very topical at the moment as, as, as i'm sure you're well aware john so i suppose from strive's point of view we've um the last 12 months we got a uh, carbon audited so you know we're, we're along the path now of being carbon neutral and any of the partners that we are using for logistics and for our data centers uh, you know we want them to be going down a carbon neutral path and having the same ideas that we have as well and you know so that's very important to us and um, you know the data centers that we have here in Ireland they have planning approved that you're going to use solar powered energy uh, from the middle of next or by the end of next year and similar enough with our Polish data center as well so that's extremely important to us and um, you know so uh, yeah it's, 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 it's really exciting times as well and look like minded companies that we've been in contact with it's something that has come up that they're really impressed that we're going that route also yeah so something that has to permeate the company not just from your electricity but like from your partners as well so it goes right through the company yeah absolutely look if if we have if we have somebody is going to be providing um you know uh the hardware devices for argument's sake um into us and you know they're taking um they're carbon aware like it's just going to be more favorable for for us partnering up with other companies and um, it's it's something that we're well aware of as well with Christmas coming up and you know the, the likes of hampers is, I think is is something that's in the past now so again we, we have to get creative with that this Christmas um, and, and be well aware that now we're, we're carbon neutral so um, but as I said it's really exciting times and you know the conversations that we've had with you know um, on, on business calls and different things it's it's uh, it's very topical at the moment yeah, now you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm speaking to Owen Murphy, Business Development Manager at Strive. But Owen, you're also a well-regarded, highly decorated and noted hurler, both with Kilkenny, uh, an All-Ireland winner and a, a multi-All-Star nominee, but also with your club, Glenmore. Um, going well with Glenmore at the moment? Thanks for thanks for that, John. Uh, I don't think I've got a bit of an introduction like that before, to be honest. But yeah, listen, we we, we recently won the intermediate county final, and um, you know we're in bonus territory now, being involved with the Leicester Championship. We'll see how that goes, and um, yeah, hugely exciting times in the club. There's been a massive amount of work put in the underage, and you know the facilities that we have below, and as I said, yeah, it's just extremely exciting. Yeah, and now you're a Kilkenny hurler as well and have been for a, for quite a few years at this stage, but you're unusual in as much as you play centre-back for your club, but you're playing goal for Kilkenny. Tell us about kind of pivoting, I suppose, to for want of a better word, from one position to the other. Like, you know, how do you manage that? Look, it's just something you have to get on with. Um, you know, when I came into the Kilkenny team, first of all, it was sort of left open-ended by Brian and his management team at that time that they were looking at me, on, I suppose, for both fronts, but, you know, uh, potentially uh, for a position in the goal and out the field. And, um, yeah, look, you know, I 
played a game out the field in the league at that time didn't go quite uh, it didn't go too good for me so uh, you know maybe I made the decision for myself but you know the previous off season Brian uh, we, we had a discussion and he just said he was going to be looking at me for the goal so you know I was happy enough that I got a bit of uh, you know clearance on that and um, you know you could go in and focus on one position so I've been playing goal with Kilkenny you know I haven't played too many good games in goal for my club but um, you know I, I suppose I get the best of both words John you know I'm playing outfield with my club and uh, in goal then for Kilkenny and you know trying to manage it it's a little bit easier the last couple of years the fact that the club and county season has been split so you know once I'm in with Kilkenny I'm just focusing on playing on the goal and uh, once that season finishes then you're back and you're out the field so you know it's just a matter of getting sharp for the, the league championship games that will be coming up with the club so um, it's a little bit easier managed to be honest Yeah now uh, no hiding places for goalkeepers when you're between the posts how do you mentally prepare yourself or keep yourself in the right frame of mind for to be the last line of defence uh, in such high stakes games I think you know it helps hugely that I'm experienced now I've been playing in that position with, with the last couple of years and you know certainly when I came in um, played in goal first of all I had JJ Delaney in front of me Jackie Chirr Paul Murphy and they were hugely experienced um, you know and multiple all-earned medal winners and hurl of the years etc um, so they were a huge help and you know, making sure that I was more vocal, even more confident in myself then as well. And um, look, and I think playing in goal, a lot of it comes with experience as well because, you know, you can't get too high or you can't get too low. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you make a mistake, I can't get too low because, you know, you know, within the next minute or two, there could be another another ball coming in. So that's that's my next focus, just the next ball, making sure that I'm, you know, doing the basics right and everyone else will follow suit after that. But on the other side of it, if, you know, I make a save or if I play really well, I can't get too high because, you know, um, the next ball coming in, that could be the one you make a mistake in. So, um, you know, your own self-belief, I think that's, that's a huge amount I've taken uh, along with the experience side of things as well. Mm. Now, uh, we talk a lot about those kind of subjects on this programme, a business programme, but they're a huge mindset, um, all that kind of stuff is a huge factor in business as well. I know you've written and blogged about it before, but what do you think are, are the lessons that you can take from sport and transfer to business? What kind of stuff would you pass on? Well, just the, I suppose, the groundwork you're putting in, if, if I don't put in the groundwork, the off-season work uh, and the, the, the training, we'll say from a sporting point of view with Kenny Glenmore, you know, if I'm not putting in the hard work, I'm not going to get any results on the field. And I suppose, uh, in some regards, you might even get onto the field at that stage. And, you know, you, you can look at the other side of it in business as well. If you're not putting in the groundwork, making the cold calls, um, you know, setting up the meetings, you know, my job as a business manager with Strive, it's, you know, we, we run a number of campaigns and, you know, you're setting up meetings, you're setting up uh, cold calls with, with different companies. And if I don't have that pipeline filled with those meetings coming in, you know, I won't have business coming in. And, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's you're putting in the groundwork, I suppose. And, mm. you know, it's, I, I know the, uh, the, the, different bits of groundwork that you add to it is completely different from a sporting point of view to, to the work but you know if you don't put in that work that's maybe not often seen uh, you just won't get the results to be honest John Yeah now uh, I understand that there's a Latin uh, saying or a Latin motto which has had quite a bearing on your outlook uh, can you tell us about that something imparted by one of your coaches 
Yeah, um, I suppose the coach wouldn't necessarily have been a coach. It would have been maybe a mentor more so than anything. It would have been Brother Damien Brennan, and I think it's well documented the work that he done with numerous Kilkenny players and Kilkenny teams as well. Of course, unrivaled um, and, and highly regarded, the late, great Brother Damien. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And he was a very good friend of mine as well. And um, yeah, look, one thing that would have stuck with me when one of the first times I met him and, you know, he said, essay Cranvideri, and essentially what it means is uh, to be rather than to seem. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I suppose, rather than saying you're going to do something, it's just do it. And, uh, or, or rather than saying you're going to be this person, just be that person. And, yeah, it's just, it's something that always stuck with me because, you know, I think in the times of social media now and, you know, you, you can pretend to live the perfect lifestyle and whatever it is, but it's just, you know, there's only one version of yourself at the end of the day, so it's, you know, just give it, you know, give that the best shot, I suppose. Yeah, and finally, I know um, it's a phrase I've heard before: "Eyes on the prize." Tell us what that means to you in terms of both your sporting and your and your professional life. Yeah, so eyes on the prize. Um, you know, with, with Glenmore at the start of the year was to win the Kilkenny Intermediate Championship. We've done that, so it's it's sh- shifted onto the Leinster campaign now, John and. And start the year with Kenny, it's to win the Lee McCarthy Cup, like the All Ireland. So that's that's the eyes and the prize there. And look in business, it's it's you know, uh, I suppose being involved in a sales role, I have a, a target, a yearly target. You can break it down to quarterly, break it down to monthly, and you know, um, I suppose the groundwork involved in that, in terms of my professional career, is that you know, if I don't have the the meeting set up. Um, you know, with with different clients, yeah, I, I won't get it to any prize. So, um, yeah, look, it, it it means I suppose slightly different things in my professional career and my playing. Owen Murphy, there, uh, well decorated Kilkenny player, and of course, a uh, big player with Glenmore. And we wish all the best to Owen as Glenmore next uh, weekend face Nace in the Leinster Intermediate Championship. And of course, we'll have full live commentary on that here on Casey Law. And of course, professionally, Owen is uh, business development manager with Carlow based Strive. Coming up, we'll be talking about supply chains. You're listening to The Bottom Line on Casey the Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Just coming up to 21 minutes away from 10 o'clock and we're with you until 10 o'clock. Now over recent months we've talked a lot about the supply chain crisis uh, and it's come up with in all sorts of contexts, whether it's from uh, your PlayStation that you can't get for Christmas or whether it's uh, important stuff to do with business. I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Peter Hennebury, who's the Director of Maxim Engineering, who are a supplier to the electronics manufacturer Manufacturers, many of whom are feeling the pinch in the supply chain crisis. Good morning, Peter. Morning, John. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, pleasure to have you here. Uh, just tell us about your interaction. You actually interact with a lot of the household name companies or suppliers to the household name companies that make these microprocessors. Spot on, John. Spot on. Yes, most of our customers, if not all of our customers, actually, they're the guys that make the boards that go in behind the dashboards of cars, all of the invisible electronics. And 
uh, and a lot of consumer electronics, but huge amount of automotive electronics in this country. Safety systems, it's all hidden away in the dashboard, hidden away in the car. There's about 1,500 microchips in one car alone, all invisible, all running there. When you hit a switch, the electronics are working, and it's basically semiconductor chips that make all that stuff happen. And as well as cars, you're talking about iPhones, phones, even watches, I suppose. Everything. Yeah, and with the advent of the so-called Internet of Things, there'll be a demand for, like, getting a microprocessor in your kettle eventually. Absolutely. Uh, The Internet of Things is a fascinating area. It's burgeoning, it's growing, it's going to be absolutely massive. In terms of uh, 5G, uh, 5G and 6G, these technologies will allow in time, um, I'm not saying objects will talk to each other, but they will communicate with each other and they'll let each other know. There'll be exchanges of data between inanimate objects and it'll be absolutely it's very exciting so presumably if you're selling this stuff or making this stuff Mm. there's a big upsurge in demand there's been an enormous upsurge in demand obviously in the last couple of years I mean electronics is where it's at one of the last bastions of electronification there's no such word as that but it's just my word this morning um, is the automobile is the car and when you think of it uh, four wheels and a steering wheel to where we've come to today and of course with the the, the, the prospect of the electrification of the automobile. Uh, it's going to be enormous and the demand for chips is, is uh, or semiconductor chips is is, is enormous on, based on... And that. along comes COVID. Um, yes. Plays hell with it all, I'm sure. Yes. Is that the only sort of thing? Or talk to us about what's got us from a, a, a kind of what do they call it, just-in-time supply system to a supply chain crisis? Like, how's that come about? Yeah, it's a good question because, I mean, just-in-time would have been, it's very much a key word in in, in a manufacturing, uh, in the manufacturing environment. Um, you know, literally, you're on a manufacturing line, you should turn around and the, the raw materials for what you're making should be there. But in the last year, there's been sort of a, a confluence of factors which have put the squeeze massively on the supply of semiconductor Doctor chips to end users such as car makers, yes, consumer electronics, the Playstations, the Xboxes. Um, everybody's feeling that out there. They're seeing the lead times on the new iPhone, for example, the latest iPhone 13. That's just not quite being delivered to your house next week. It's taking three to four weeks because Apple are under pressure. They're uh, they're under pressure trying to get their hands on those chips. And Even a, Apple, presumably even they'd Apple. have huge buying power. Absolutely. Enormous buying power. But yes, they're competing with the Samsungs of this world uh, and and a whole a plethora of, of Chinese manufacturers of phones out there yeah and and so like we've had COVID I remember the old ship getting stuck in the Suez Canal but they unblocked that um, they did will everything return to normal when COVID gets under control or are there other factors? There are other factors. I mean, look, you know, we were to, we've were we got lists of the here. The global pandemic would have had a massive effect on, for example, the automakers. They wanted, they actually anticipated a drop in orders. Uh, they they lowered their chip orders and the consumer guys got in, the electronic, uh, the, the, the apples of this world, they started to book out a lot of the semiconductor chip supplies there. That had a huge effect on it. The superpower politics between China and 
and the United uh, China and the United States, uh, President Trump at the time, you remember, they were banning certain materials, Chinese uh, telecom companies getting involved in their 5G rollout in the States. This all had a very upsetting uh, influence on, on that. And if well. I'm not mistaken, uh, mm. Taiwan is one of the biggest producers of, Correct. of semiconductors Correct. and microprocessors. TSMC is Taiwan uh, uh, Corporation. They're, they're a semiconductor manufacturing corporation. Taiwan, they're responsible for possibly up to 50% of all chips made in the world. Wow. And uh, it's a very, it's economically, uh, sorry, politically stable enough country. It just happens to be next to Big Brother, with, 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 uh, but very friendly with the USA. And they're rolling out, um, but they had problems in Taiwan last year. Believe it or not, there was a drought. It, for the first time in something like 56 years, they had an, an incredible drought in Taiwan. And when you bear in mind that these guys mm. are consuming about 60 million litres of water in a plant every day of ultra-pure water, wow. you can see the effect that the drought had on... They had to shut plants out in, in Taiwan for weeks and weeks Because of the drought. Precisely. And, of course, when you shut the plant, you put the squeeze on the supply of the chips. Yeah, and so am I right in saying that that's a kind of possible climate change, climate crisis impact? So that could yes, actually... Indeed. You wouldn't kind of think of that when you'd be thinking microprocessors that kind of absolutely the, the rainfall would affect it absolutely the rainfall and indeed over in there were winter storms in texas last february or january yeah. or january february that shut plants in texas which is an amazing center for chip manufacturing so hence the reason that there is that the, the supply lines they they're they're quite constricted at the moment huge challenges out there yeah we're know? talking about taiwan but of course um up the road in leak slip uh, that's yes. part of the whole thing as well Absolutely, and they're going from strength to strength up there, and they're rolling out new plants. I mean, Intel are rolling out two new, uh, uh, with what they call wafer fabrication plants in Texas and in, in Arizona next year. I think it's about twenty billion dollars, and uh, they're going to choose a location for their next fab in Europe quite soon. So the way out of all of this is, of course, build more factories, but build them in more politically stable and environmentally possibly more stable countries as well. Right. So fa- fab is kind of fab is what you call a factory for making these things. A wafer fabrication, the short for it is fab, where right, you yeah. make or fabricate the wafers. And they're not cheap, these fabs. They're absolutely not. They come in multiples of tens of billions to build these places. It's absolutely incredible, yes. So what's what's the impact all this is having on the car industry then? Well, of course, the car industry, they, they when you snooze, you lose. I mean, they, they dropped their orders at the beginning of last year thinking, okay, pandemic, everybody's at home, they're going to stop driving for a while. Um, the consumer electronics came in because working from home you need a new console you need a you know you need a new pc all of the paraphernalia that goes with that the demand for electronics has gone through the roof and of course online purchasing the amazons the ebays that has gone through the absolute roof the automakers they they snoozed then they lost and now they're trying to they're trying to gain back their chip orders because they they told their suppliers you know they would have told them how much they needed and obviously the consumer guys came in and took over so they're desperately trying to claw back there are plants literally running i won't say in ireland today but i've heard stories john of literally taxis going to airports to get the raw materials to bring them back down to the factories to keep the lines going this is like your big massive multi-billions that are kind of calling up jola taxi and Send them off down to the Absolutely, airport. yes. And uh, those those electronics then will will end up in a car in Europe. And that state. illustrates kind of how um, you're as strong as your weakest link. But the taxi then that goes from 
your factory in the in the industrial estate yes. down to the airport yes. is um, part of the global supply chain. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you do, from micro to macro. Yeah. Absolutely. So if yeah. there's roadworks on the M50, conceivably <laughs> it can bring the old supply chain to a halt. <laughs> yes, indeed. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Peter, it's absolutely fascinating talking to you about it and we look forward to hopefully chatting with you next year about how they're sorting the whole thing out. Pleasure, it's all, John. Yeah, well, listen, that's uh, Peter Hennebury, who's uh, Director of Max engineering uh, given us a fascinating insight into the supply chain crisis and how it affects microprocessors which are in everything from your kettle to your playstation it's just coming up to it is just 12 minutes away from 10 o'clock after this we're going to be talking one-way traffic systems uh, with kilkenny chamber of commerce kclr the heart of two counties just coming up to eight minutes away from 10 o'clock john purcell with you on the bottom line it's a lovely bright saturday morning in kilkenny city looking out uh, don't forget that davy cashin is coming live to you from tin Ryland uh, after the 10 o'clock news lots of you will be out shopping this morning and if you're in kilkenny city you'll be uh, experiencing the one-way system which was introduced uh at the start, middle-ish or just shortly after the outbreak of COVID to bring in uh, social distancing on the streets and so on. Obviously, uh, a big development, been talked about for many years. It's been up and running, I'd say, well over a year at this stage. And uh, I don't think the Kilkenny City Centre retailers are too happy about it. Joining me on the line is John Hurley, who's the Chief Executive of Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. Yeah, am I being unfair by saying that Kilkenny City Centre retailers aren't happy with the one-way system? No, that's very much the message that we got back quite strongly when we uh, polled them. We sent out a survey. Uh, It was very straightforward, aimed specifically at the city centre businesses in the streets of High Street, John Street and Kieran Street, kind of Rosin Street. Um, Just to ask them um, Mm. a straight question. Yeah, now there's surveys and there's surveys. What was your kind of sample size like? How many people responded to the survey? Well, um, We did three separate surveys as such on the three separate streets so that we'd understand the feedings in each street. Um, And uh, we got about, for example, in High Street, we got about 40 responses there, uh, about 30, I think, in John Street and something similar for Kieran Street stroke uh, Rosin Street. So uh, it was well engaged with. It is um, a measure of people's view. Um, And uh, the question simply asked was, were they happy with the current system? And uh, uh, no surprise, really, that people were because in fairness to it, it's not the ideal solution and was never put in place as that. Uh, And do you have any idea of what is the ideal solution, John? Well, that's exactly the question that we're asking, and I think that's the one that we need... answered and um, we need to understand uh, what is it that people want because it's clear that uh, change is an inevitable part of life and um, people change their attitudes their uh, shopping behaviors their their work-life balance needs and so on and keeping the city center the exact same generation after generation after generation is not the answer it needs to change and evolve with time but the key thing is then what changes do we need to bring in in order to match people's expectations and needs going forward? Not just for today, but for the next decade and series of decades so that we factor in and kind of, uh, I suppose, future-proof 
any changes that we make. And it's not one solution, most likely. It's not just about the car or just about traffic or just about parking. It's about accessibility for people with disabilities, maybe visual impairments, mobility impairments, um, age-friendly approach as well. And then in the mix of uh, right now, we have the COVID situation. And social distancing necessary because a lot of the pavements on High Street um, are very narrow and you need to have lots of people in going to the shops, but they need to keep their distance. That's exactly it. And that couldn't be done, you know, the way things were previously because the the footpaths were just simply too narrow. And it's often said Ireland would be a great country if you could only put a roof on it. And actually, over the last two years, because of COVID and everything, we've had to find ways to put roofs on outdoor spaces because outdoor spaces were the only safe place for people to be. And even as we speak, there's a fantastic one up there in the Mayor's Walk. Uh, there's uh, seating areas there with lovely covering over them, which makes them more amenable, more usable, uh, regardless of the weather, more or less. And the Market Yard down there, uh, that's become a very, very popular uh, dining and seating and socialising space. Uh, and I don't think one person has complained about the fact that something like 20 car spaces were lost. Mm. The, the, the reuse is so much better than the old use. Complex um, problem really. Uh, Change is inevitable. What do you want to see happen next? So I think what we need to do and the Chamber is calling for is an in-depth analysis of exactly what is happening. What way are people thinking? Develop an understanding of um, you know what people's needs, wants, and expectations are now. Um, you know we need to factor in the fact that the internet exists, and an awful lot of people do a lot of research on what they're shopping before they come to town. And some of them won't come to town at all; they'll do all of their shopping online. But that's not the solution to everything either. Yeah. And now, John, we have to leave it there. But I, I understand. You know, it's a very important time for supporting local chamber of God vouchers. Uh, give them a plug. Yeah, absolutely. If you uh, want to give a gift, which we all do at Christmas time, you don't know what to give someone, give them the Kilkenny gift voucher because you've... uh, uh a choice of over 150 places to spend it in. They never lose their value, they never expire, and they must be spent locally, so you're doing it for uh, everybody locally as well. Absolutely, and we totally support that. Support local this Christmas, whether you're in Kilkenny or Carlo. Carlo uh, also have to love Carlo vouchers. John, thanks for joining us this morning on The Bottom Line. Thanks for having me, John. That's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email the bottom line at kclaura96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom Line, just search for The Bottom Line on KCLaura on any of your podcast platforms. Thanks to all our guests this week, Laura Slattery, Peter Hennebury, John Hurley and Owen Murphy. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, Davy Cashin is next, sitting in for Edward Hayden on the Saturday show which this morning is out and about in Tinroyland do pop along and say hello that's after the news at 10 o'clock with David Abbott we'll be back next Saturday just after 9 with more stories for and about business and I do hope you'll join us then in the meantime remember do your best to help us all get on top of this infernal Covid virus stick to the basics tiring and frustrating as it is stay tuned to KCLR keep your distance safe Stay safe, wash your hands, and above all, keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie